Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Right, so let's get into it today. Um, we've been going through this cool series on Acts. I had the privilege of doing the first one, Acts chapter 1. And it's been great to hear people sharing from the subsequent chapters as we've been going. I must confess, in the busyness of being away in India, and I'll fill you in a little bit more in India as we go through the talk, um, I didn't have a chance to catch up with Sammy's talk on Act 6, which I really would have liked to. One, because Sammy's just such a phenomenal preacher. It's always a blessing to hear preach from the Word of God. But second, because actually Act 6 and 7 are really, you know, part one and two of each other, and they, they go hand in hand. It's hard to read one without the other. Um, and so it would have been really good for me to know what Sammy said. Unfortunately, I didn't have a, a chance to actually catch up with that, but I'm sure it was excellent. Um, if I cover some of the same ground that she covers, I, I'm sorry, but it never hurts to hear the same thing over and over again. The same truth is relevant every day. So we're going to be taking a look at Acts 7 today and this incredible speech that Stephen gets. And for someone like me who doesn't know the meaning of timekeeping when it comes to preaching, it's exciting to be able to talk about the longest uh, speech that we find in, in the book of Acts. But don't worry, we're not going <laughs> to read the whole, I wouldn't even have time to read the whole thing out and speak from it this morning, let alone kind of expound from it line by line. So we're going to be approaching it slightly different today because it is such a large block of text. We're not going to be uh, doing the usual thing where I read a, a large section of it out and then we work through it. We're going to be talking around it and then bringing in the passages that we want to focus in on as we go. First thing I want to talk about today, though, is siblings. Those of us that have siblings, do you ever face sibling comparison? Has, have other people put sibling comparison onto you? I mean, it's one thing for you to look at your siblings and compare favorably or unfavorably. <laughs> and don't pretend you don't do it. I know you do. Um, but it's another thing for someone else to come along and, and say those immortal lines. I wish you could just be a little bit more like your brother, or I wish you could just be a little bit more like your sister. It's actually a common theme in movies. We see a lot of conflict in movies and literature where brothers and sisters um, get annoyed with each other or estranged from each other because they don't match up to each other. There's parental pressure, societal pressure, pressure they put on each other. And there's a break that comes through the fact that they don't, don't compare favorably to one another. Perhaps one is lesser in the eyes of the world or themselves to their sibling. And sure enough, they... Uh, go off on some kind of vendetta to prove that they have worth or whatever, and it could cause all sorts of problems. I mean, The Lion King's a good example of this, isn't it? We all love The Lion King, and uh, the truth is that a lot of the problems in The Lion King could have been solved if Mufasa and Scar had just figured out some of the sibling challenges that they had. Maybe Mufasa needed just to be a little bit, a little bit more humble. I don't want to speak ill of Mufasa, speak ill of the dead or anything, but but Mufasa, yeah, he, he, I think he was pressing pretty hard into that king thing, wasn't he? Um, and Scar, all right, he's a bit of a weird, creepy guy. Um, but even so, he, he needed to chill out a little bit. He needs to be a bit more humble in, in his role. But uh, I think there's a bit of six and one, half a dozen of the other going on there. I'm not a, a Scar apologist or anything like that, but, you know, the guy's basically evil. But even so, I'm just saying there's a bit of sibling rivalry there that probably didn't help things. The truth is that sibling rivalry and the words spoken over us of, oh, I wish you could compare more favorably to your sibling, crush, because like all comparison, it, it kills ultimately. All comparison kills. We've talked about this before. We are called in the Bible to be like our ultimate sibling, our brother in Christ. Yes, of course, Christ is more than our brother. He is our Lord. We trust him as Lord. And yet the Bible presents him as 
the firstborn over all creation and the ultimate of ultimate siblings, our ultimate brother. And so when the Bible calls us to be like Christ, it can be pretty daunting for us because if you think it's challenging living up to the expectation of your parents with your sibling who's done a little bit better than you in their education or business or something like that, or they got married before you did and you're feeling that pressure, or they had kids before you did and you're feeling that pressure, imagine the pressure of comparing to the saviour of the world as your sibling. That's pretty full on. And yet the Bible repeatedly calls us to be Christ-like. We know this passage from Romans 8, 28 really well. We quote it all the time. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. But we don't then quote the rest of 28, which says, who have been called according to his purpose. And we don't then double down by going into verse 20, 29, which says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is just one of many, many passages in scripture, particularly the New Testament that talks about us becoming Christ-like. And what's the purpose of our Christ-likeness? Why does God work in us and work the things around us for the good of us? Why? Because actually it's part of our purpose that as we are called to follow him, as he works things for good, what he's doing is he's working in us Christ-like character. That's what that verse is really about. So we've got to be careful sometimes, haven't we, that we don't just throw verses around and, oh, is life going hard? You've got tough circumstances right now. Well, don't worry. God's got it because he works all things uh, for the good of those who love him. And whilst that truth is broadly correct, the specific application of it is really about God forming us into his likeness, into the likeness of his son, our brother. Now, as we are conformed into his image, he is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's a fancy Bible way of saying as God works his image out through us, as we become more Christ-like, so we will draw more people to the image of Christ that they too can share in that image. That's Ben's fancy way of saying, God wants to make you more like Jesus so the world will get saved. God is conforming us to be like Jesus for his salvation glory that's why he desires us to be like christ actually it's also about holiness that christ is the only truly holy human to have ever lived god's desire is that we have become holy as he is holy whereas words of comparison with our siblings in this life can crush us and kill us words of comparison to christ are not designed to crush or kill but create life god's desire is not in saying i want you to be christ-like to crush you down by saying you're not good enough like an overbearing parent. It's to set you free into the life that he's actually called you to live through Christ, in Christ. It doesn't crush, but it creates life if we allow his Holy Spirit to work in us and empower us. It's not comparison, actually, that God is looking for, but completion. The world often looks to compare us for all sorts of reasons. God isn't looking to compare us to Christ so that we come out unfavorably. He's looking to compare us to Christ so that we will see in Christ the hope of completion. Do you remember that expression from a few years back? What should we do? What would Jesus do? People like that one. And we had the back, they had the wristbands and everything. What would Jesus do? You know, we went around saying that and it was a little bit evangelistic and a little bit discipleship focused. But then some people came along and they said, no, uh, what would Jesus do is a, is a rubbish slogan. It should be changed to what did Jesus do? Because we're not just thinking about what might he do with some vague understanding. We can actually look back and know definitively what he did do situation by situation because we have the word of God. And I, I get the feeling of that. I'm a, I'm a word guy. I want to see us going back to the word, not just speculating, but understanding and knowing the truth. But I actually think even that one's not enough. 
I actually think if we were going to have a nice catchy slogan around that WWJD type thing, we would be much better off going for WCJD. WCJD. What does that stand for? What can Jesus do? What can Jesus do? That's actually what we need for our discipleship. What can Jesus do in your life today? Yes, because of what he has done. But crucially, how is he at work today? What can Jesus do in and through? Don't, don't remove yourself. What would Jesus do? Oh, I'm going to try and be like him in my own strength. No, it's divorced from his empowering. What can Jesus do in you today by conforming him into his likeness? And as we look in Acts chapter 7, what we see is we see Stephen, a remarkable follower of Jesus, who actually demonstrates for us three incredible ways that we can be Christ-like, that we can ask the question, what can Christ do in me today? And come on the other side, even though it might be daunting and a little bit challenging and a little bit scary with hope that God, even in the most challenging of circumstances, can work in us for his glory to reconcile the world to himself and to complete us into the people that we were always supposed to be. Actually, what we see in the life of Stephen is someone who's prepared to be conformed into the image of Christ by serving like Christ, speaking like Christ, and by suffering like Christ, to be transformed by him and to see others transformed as we do. So let's start with serving like Christ. And let me reference some of these little examples from scripture with a few trips that I've been on recently. Just uh, the encouragement that I'm seeing as I travel around the world in God's people. This is not abstract theology. This is actually what I'm seeing at work in people's lives all around the world as they put their trust in Jesus. The question is, Lord, by your grace and by my willingness to make myself available to you, could this happen in my life too? Please let it be so. I spent some time in Ethiopia a couple of weeks ago, as you know, and it was great to launch advanced groups in Ethiopia. And we're going to see hundreds and hundreds of groups, if not thousands, before the end of 2022 and then beyond. But what I loved about being my time in Ethiopia is that the team that I was out there with made space between our sessions to actually go and do some service projects. One of the things that we did was uh, between training and equipping pastors for evangelism, we went out and we met the needs of 50 families who had lost their husbands through the war that's happening at the moment in the north of the country. Even some soldiers who'd been wounded came along to this thing, got a chance to talk and pray with one guy who's got two bullets in his leg right now from being shot a couple months ago. And uh, just a terrible situation happening in the north. And we were able to go and provide food for these families, food for a couple of months. And, and, I, and I love the fact that Abira and his team were prepared to go into the north, where it's a little bit risky. They, tried, they were trying to keep me safe, I think, so they, they didn't take us as far north as they normally go. Um, but they're going really high into the north, where it might be dangerous, to just pour out love and to serve practically, and, of course, serve spiritually by proclaiming the gospel. Now, what I love about Stephen... And we are going to dip back into chapter six as well, because like I said, they, six and seven go together. Is that when the seven deacons are called, what we, reckon, what we hear is that Stephen gets singled out amongst the rest of them. And remember what I said before about comparison. Maybe the others felt a little bit like, oh, hang on a second. Why are you saying that he's great and we're just, you know, we're the other six deacons, but Stephen gets singled out for special praise. And what's the special praise that Stephen gets singled out for? That in verse six, uh, chapter six, verse five, that he is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then in two verses later in 6, 8, that he is full of grace and power and that he performs great signs and wonders among the people. This is a great description of being a Jesus follower. Lord, could this be true of me in my life? I'd be full of faith. Remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And with faith, even as small as a mustard seed, we can achieve mighty things for the kingdom of God, move mountains even. 
So faith is an amazing thing, but we can only really have the fullness of faith when it's combined with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So we need those two things. Stephen has this, full of faith, out of the Holy Spirit. Lord, at the end of my life, if I can be described in any way, could it be that I was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit? That's about as good a description as it possibly gets. Oh, well, hang on a second. Then we also attach full of grace and power to that. Wow, this is, we're doubling down on the great explanations of who we are to be as Christians. But what's amazing about this is that of course it mirrors, this language mirrors the way that Jesus is explained in John 1, 14. The word became flesh, this incredible description of Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Thank you, Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, check it out, full of grace and truth. The language that the Bible is using to describe Stephen is Christ-like language. In other words, the Bible wants us to know Stephen is set, set apart here, not because of any talent or skill he's, or, or effort even. He's set apart because of his Christ-likeness. I want to ask you the question, as you serve God today, what are the hallmarks of your service? Are the hallmarks of how you serve pride, ego, attention-seeking, self-fulfillment, position, jostling? Look, we can all fall into those traps in different ways at different times. Or are the hallmarks of your service faith, grace, and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power? Because that's what it means to serve like Christ. Faith builds graciously and demonstrating the Holy Spirit's power. Ask yourself afresh today, why do I serve? Do I serve because of Christ? How do I serve? Do I serve like Christ? Our Lord Jesus, would you help us all to serve because of you and like you and like Stephen, full of faith and with the power of the Holy Spirit, able to perform great signs and wonders among the people, whether we're doing accounts, whether we're going out into high schools, whether we're sending emails, whether we're uh, working in the groceries, would we do it full of faith and the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power in Jesus' name? Number two, are we speaking like Christ? Well, I was in Kenya back in December. It was great to uh, be part of the proclamation movement uh, network of evangelists being launched. And we know that advanced groups are going to be launched in at least 35 African nations over the next year, which is wonderful and so encouraging. But again, one of the things that I was most encouraged by was the commitment in the charter that all of these nations signed, all these evangelists signed, to making sure that they proclaim the gospel clearly and powerfully in the Holy Spirit. How do you speak of Christ in your day to day? You might not be a platform preacher, you might not be preaching, but how are you speaking of Christ? Do you speak of Christ like Christ is our question today. Stephen certainly does. And as we look through his incredible speech, and I do encourage you to go away at some point today, just read through chapter seven, read through Stephen's incredible speech in the most precious situation he knows as he says the things that he's saying as he's been arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin, he knows that as he says these things, they will probably lead him to death, and yet he continues in boldness. And the first thing that he does, remember, he is a person of grace, so everything he speaks is of grace. That's always our starting posture, speak graciously. But in that posture of grace, and full of faith in the Holy Spirit, then what does he do? First of all, he gets their attention. Seven, chapter seven, verse two. Brothers and fathers, that's respectful, by the way. He's being respectful to them, even though they're putting him on trial based on lies. He's been arrested based on lies, but he's still respectful. Why? Grace. Grace is pouring out of him. Listen to me, he says. Oh, that's a good way to get someone's attention. Brothers and fathers, respectfully, I respect you, but you need to listen to me. Are you getting people's attention as you speak of Christ? And then what does Stephen do? He goes on to expound what God has done. He tells the God story, particularly through Moses. As you speak of Jesus, are you talking about what God has done? That means, is it based 
in the story of God as revealed in his Bible, but also are you talking about what God has done in your life, his faithfulness in your life outworked, because that does get people's attention. That's the whole story that, that uh, Stephen outlines, what God has been doing faithfully through his people. Next, are you standing on the truth of the word? Stephen repeatedly quotes scripture as you talk to people about Jesus. Is it just your ideas that you're presenting? And are those ideas getting a bit wishy-washy? Or are you presenting the word of God, quoting scripture, appealing back to scripture? You know what, if people don't believe in scripture, if they think it's stupid, that's up to them. But we think it's the word of God. And so we uphold the scriptures and we testify to the scriptures. Of course, Billy Graham was famous for, in his preaching, always saying, the Bible says, the Bible says. And we do too, because it's that authority. Even if people don't think it has any authority in the world, we still claim it's the authority because it does have authority. It is the holy word of God. Don't pander to the folly of people by playing down the Bible by, and then by proxy making the Bible seem like it doesn't have authority. Even if they don't think it's got authority, you stand on its authority. And as you stand on its authority, you'll reveal that you believe it's truth. And by God's Holy Spirit, he can actually bring that truth to bear in people's lives and reveal, no, this is authority. And finally, we already said it, refusing to pander to people. Chapter 7, verse 51, Stephen says, right at the end of his speech, he says, you stiff-necked people. Remember at the start, he's respectful and gracious, brothers and sisters, brothers and fathers, rather. But by the end of it, as he's revealed everything, he's the same, probably is seeing in their eyes the, 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 the anonymity to which they're responding to him, the anger to which they're responding to him. And so by the end of it, having quoted scripture and made his case really clearly, he then says, you stiff-necked people. In other words, why are you so stubborn? Why are you going against the Holy Spirit? Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are unholy before God because you haven't graciously allowed Jesus to work in your life. Don't pander to the world. Look, be gracious, be kind. You don't have to, you know, slag them off and say horrible things to them. But don't pander to the world as you speak about Jesus. Remember, we've heard that Stephen was full of grace, and so his speech would be too, and so should ours. But from a place of grace, we can speak boldly and truthfully. Of course, this is exactly how Jesus himself spoke. We don't have time to go and look at all of this, but look through Jesus' talks and sermons. He always speaks with clarity and grace, but always with truth. And sometimes calling people out in very harsh ways, not because he's trying to call them names and be horrible to them, but because sometimes when the truth is presented clearly and in the power of the spirit, the outcome is it's harsh. But as people are encounter, uh, encounter the harsh truth of God, so they are able to come into the soft grace and kindness if they will be prepared to turn their hearts in. Look, speaking this way can for sure get you in trouble. It got Jesus crucified and it got Stephen stoned to death. Today, it's more likely to get you cancelled than killed. But are you protecting yourself from being cancelled? Or will you speak like Christ? Because we're to be like him, so we need to speak like him. And number three, finally, will we suffer like Christ? Just got back from India, an amazing time. We're going to see th literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of groups launched across India. Amazing networks we've been able to establish over there. Great favor from God. I picked up COVID on the way home. It's a small price to pay to see what incredible stuff God is going to do in raising his church to proclaim the gospel. And yet in India, they are facing serious persecution, serious persecution. And there are Christians in the north who are having people walk into their churches, rip them out of church in you know, halfway through the service and beat them. Some are being imprisoned. Some are being killed for their faith. Suffering is part of our Christian life, especially as we speak for him. Suffering in the West might look more like being cancelled and alienated than beaten and killed. But whatever it looks like, are we prepared to suffer like Christ? Look at what Stephen does as he's being stoned to death. He commits his spirit to the Lord. 
in chapter 7, verse 59, as he's literally being stoned to death, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then in the next verse, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He forgives them. You, you recognize these things, right? Lord, receive my spirit, and Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is exactly what Jesus himself said, is he is being killed for us upon the cross. But as Jesus is being killed upon the cross, even in his agony, he sees the glory of salvation before him. And even as Stephen is being killed and stoned and martyred, what does he see? He sees the glory of heaven, the son seated at the right hand of the father. As we are suffering, will we turn our eyes and see the glory of Christ and the hope that we have? And then say, even in every difficult situation, Lord, we give our spirit to you. We give it all to you. And Lord, as we are suffering and being persecuted, do not hold this sin against those who persecute us because our struggle is not against them it is against the powers and principalities it's against the fact that they've been blinded to the truth would our suffering even open their eyes because our eyes are open and we can see you Lord. don't be a christian that lives as if your eyes are as closed as the rest of the world's especially when you suffer there was a christian whose eyes are open and can see the glory of heaven can see the christ can see christ seated at the right hand of the father can see the glory of salvation set before us and are able therefore to say, oh, you know what, Lord, my spirit is yours. And you know what, Lord, forgive them no matter what persecution comes my way. What in your life is a struggle right now? What do you need to turn your eyes towards Jesus for so that you can suffer not just without hope, but you can suffer like Christ with hope, with power, with perseverance? Who has um, hurt you? Yeah, in, in such a way that you need to forgive them today and say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them because as you hold the sin against them, so you're causing a blockage for your own faith, let alone this. Jesus was able to cry these things out on the cross. Stephen is able to cry these things out as he's being stoned to death. Surely we are able to cry these things out as someone's being nasty to us on Twitter or unfriending us on Facebook or a family member is saying horrible things to us. It hurts for sure. But will we turn our eyes to the glory of Christ? and commit our spirit and seek the forgiveness of God. Look, we can be inspired by faithful brothers and sisters in this life, faithful people around us where instead of being crushed by comparison, we look at them and go, wow, so inspirational. We can be wowed by martyrs of the faith like Stephen and many others who have been martyred. But there is actually only one whose example we actually follow. And thankfully, he doesn't expect us to try and follow his example just in our own effort and therefore inevitably fall short and be crushed by our failure. No, he offers us his spirit so that to live Christ-like, to speak like Christ, to serve like Christ, to suffer like Christ is possible because he is with us in it all. As we serve, he serves with us. As we speak, he speaks with us. As we suffer, he suffers with us today. Let us step into full brotherhood, sisterhood with Jesus Christ. Become more like him, that he will be revealed to the world. Let's pray together. Come on. Our Jesus, this morning, would you increase our faith? Would you empower us and help us to live in and pour out your grace? Would we serve like you? Jesus, make our words count. Would we speak out of remembrance for who you are and what you've done and be rooted in your word? Jesus, speak with us today. Oh, Jesus, we commit our spirit to you. Do what you will with us, even, Lord, to the point of death. Help us to forgive those who hurt and harm us. Lord, suffer with us as we suffer. Lord, as we become more like you in these ways, would the world see more of you in us and be forever changed. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what could Jesus do in your life and the world if you will serve, speak, and even suffer like him? 
Let's go and find out together. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.